I just want to go on record by saying I'm not going to support the liquor industry. You can believe in, in a moderation apps or whatever, but I'm not going to support it. It's done far too much damage. I'm not going to put anything alcoholic in my body as the temple of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Edison said this. A Christian, really, by no means. Edison even said to put alcohol into your system. And he had thought this thing through. To take it internally is like putting sand in the wheels of cogs. In other words, you're just destroying yourself. It was never meant to go inside of you. And so, should a Christian drink alcohol? I don't believe we should. God help us to avoid it. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. and turn back to the Proverbs in the 23rd chapter, Proverbs chapter 23. We started a little two-part series last week on should a Christian drink alcohol? Should a Christian drink alcohol? And if you've been here any length of time, you know that as a church we have a conviction that we abstain from alcohol, and you'd think this is a moot issue and it's a given that we understand this. And yet I've heard from folks even after that message saying thank you for restating it and clarifying it and helping me to understand it. Um, There's a temptation always to compromise. And I said last time that God's people can even lose their convictions within a matter of weeks. And so, though we know these things, the Bible says, we need to be reestablished in them every so often. And so we're looking really at a, a, a reasonable, sane, balanced Christian approach to whether we should drink alcohol or not. And here in Proverbs 23, we had this as our text, beginning in verse number 29. It says, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? Notice it goes on. They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright, At the last it biteth like a serpent, and stiggeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. Now, we find there encoded within this passage some truths about alcohol. We'll be talking about them in just a moment. But let's pray before we begin this Bible study. Father, we ask you to bless now this time your word. There are so many dozens of verses that we could look at, and certainly we can't cover them all. But may we get your mind on this matter, come to a balance and an arrival of a conclusion, dear Lord, of where we stand, where our convictions are in this matter of, of alcohol as God's people. We pray for your help in being discerning and spiritually perceptive, and we ask it now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I mentioned last time my mother would often say, I hate the day alcohol was invented. That was just the way she put it. And it posed the question, when was it invented? We went back to the early chapters of Genesis and find the first man to get drunk would be Noah, but some things had changed with the laws of fermentation that really would cause me to believe he didn't expect to get drunk. But 
it has been an issue for thousands of years. It has caused issues in, in my family. I mentioned my dad uh, actually coming from a broken home. Uh, his parents divorced when he was nine years of age due to alcoholism on the part of his dad. And so it affected my dad. It, it, it came down through our family. And, and I mentioned we grew up in a culture and, and even a religion that was somewhat laden with, with alcohol. And so with, with disdain, mom would often say, I hate the day it was ever invented. The use of alcohol costs our nation about $117 billion every year. $117 billion, and it claims 100,000 lives every year. And that's 25 times more than, than all other illegal drugs combined. And alcohol is a drug. We don't categorize it that way. But it, it eclipses all narcotics. It is number one. And, and the, the food to produce Beer alone takes about 7 billion pounds of grains, of syrups, of juices, molasses, and barley, and hops, and all these things. It, it would feed tens of millions of starving people worldwide alone, just, just taking it from that angle. But it causes hundreds of thousands of disabilities a year, great suffering. There's 100,000 new cases of alcoholism every single year. There's tens of billions of dollars lost in, of course, health and uh, welfare costs and property damage, and also a large percent of all suicides are alcohol-related. When it comes to health, we've talked about the fact that it does kill brain cells, it perforates arteries. The life expectancy of an alcoholic is about 10 to 12 years less than someone who's not. It's the very first curse mentioned in the Bible. And we find that when, when Noah got drunk, there was the incident with Ham, his son, and a curse was pronounced on Ham, and it's alcohol-related. We know the sad, sad story following that of Lot and his incestuous relationship with his own daughters. I was thinking when we were in Israel uh, a little over a year ago, uh, we were in the country of Jordan, which is ancient Moab, and, and these would be the descendants of that awful two nights that he spent with his daughters, and it was alcohol-related. His daughter said in, in Genesis 19.32, Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he perceived not when she lay down or when she arose. And you say, well, why? He was drunk. It was alcohol-related. We're told in the Bible that kings and leaders are not to mess with alcohol. In Proverbs 31.4, it says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. We find that the great man in the Bible, Daniel, had nothing to do with booze. We read in Daniel 1 and verse 8, But Daniel purposed in his heart, that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not, notice these words, defile himself. I'm not going to drink wine, he said. And then, of course, the greatest prophet of all time, according to Christ himself, John the Baptist. We read this of him in Luke. Luke 1, 5 says, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's Womb. So we find some verses that cast alcohol in a very negative light or people who don't drink in a very a positive light. In fact, the Bible curses those who sell it, uh, who distribute it. We find this 
passage in Habakkuk 2.15, it says, Woe, that's a curse, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken. So there's a curse upon those who make it, who distribute it, who sell it. Many have even, and, and I'm, not, I'm not talking about Christian realms, but many have even equated the Kennedy curse. You've heard of the Kennedy curse, and uh, it, it seems to be more than coincidental, but many people know that Joseph Kennedy, the dad, uh, made his fortune with, with, during the days of Prohibition by selling a bootleg scotch whiskey and so on and, and, and amassed a fortune in it. And there are some who, who, who equate this verse to that, saying, Warn to him that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken. But there are even more serious verses in the Bible. And we read this over in 1 Corinthians 6.10. It mentions, Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. We're told there that, that drunkenness is so serious to God that those who get drunk shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, we, we smirk at it and make a joke about it, but it's really not a, a laughing matter if those who die lost and go to hell miss heaven because of such a thing. Now, there are those who will say that Jesus drank wine and, and Jesus served wine at the Lord's Supper service and all these kind of arguments, but none of that is true. In fact, the word wine is not even associated with the Lord's Supper service. In fact, you study the four Gospels and you'll find God carefully wording the, uh, the expression for grape juice, even as it's known there, as the fruit of the vine. It's called the fruit of the vine. And at Fargo Baptist Church, we're, I think, one of the very few churches in town that teach abstinence, that covenant together as a church body and a church family not to drink. We do not serve fermented wine at the Lord's Supper service here. Now, by way of review... Last time we talked about not really even getting into the verses that deal with strong drink in the Bible, and there's really not that many. But it's obvious when they're in use that it's talking more about something that was, uh, in old time, a painkiller, a, a, med- a medicinal thing, uh, like morphine. We read verses like Proverbs 31.6 that say, give, give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish. So we're going to put that aside, I'll I'll mention one thing at the very end, but the confusion seems to be over the matter of wine within the realm of Christianity. And the the two schools of thought are drink in moderation or abstinence. Don't drink at all. Avoid it altogether. There are those uh, who sell alcohol and they'll say, use our products in moderation. You've heard that. I've heard that. Well, the problem with any narcotic is that it, it not only stupefies the system, but it's habit-forming. And so you can say, I'm just going to use it in moderation. But where does it go from there? Alcohol or, or even wine can be habit-forming. You've heard of winos. There are those who can actually get hooked on something even as mild as that. Now, there seems to be contradictions on whether you should drink wine in moderation or you should abstain from it altogether. And last time we just looked at a, a, a few verses, but... By way of review, Psalm 104.15 is one of them. It says, In wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face to shine, and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. Now, as we read this, we say, well, the wine makes his heart glad. It's got to be alcoholic. Isn't that the way our Western mind thinks? In other words, he's getting a buzz, and, and uh, he's, he's kind of uh, glad because he's getting a little tipsy from the wine. 
No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't necessarily have to mean that. In fact, if you look at the other two things mentioned, it mentions the oil, it mentions the bread, and nothing in, intoxicating about that. But honestly, just saying a refreshing thing like wine or like a milkshake or like uh, even a cold drink of water, you say, ah, and you know, it ah, makes you glad. And, and so to think automatically, this is talk about alcoholic wine is really jumping the gun. Now, there's some other confusion, and this is, this is really a verse that confuses some. Talking about Jesus, saying to the servants at the wedding feast of Cana, every man, or the, 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 the head of the feast, saying to Christ, every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. Our eye just focuses on the word drunk. And we say, wow, these guys are getting drunk at this feast. Jesus is at this wedding here, and we're really assuming a lot. It, it's, it doesn't mean drunk in that sense. It's just talking about the, the tense the word is used in. Drink, drank, drunk. Remember that from grade school? When there's a have in there, it's drunk. And so it's just saying that the average wedding will bring out the cheap grape juice after everybody's had plenty. But They've saved the best until last. But it's not saying that Christ served wine at the wedding feast of Cana. In fact, back to this. Habakkuk 2.15 says, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth the bottle to him, and makest him drunken also. We find here not only a curse upon those who serve it, and Christ certainly wouldn't have served it if he says over here there's a curse upon those who serve it, but we found also that verse that said it's not for kings to drink wine. Who's the king of kings? The Lord Jesus Christ. So was he turning water into alcoholic wine? No. So what's the bottom line here? Well, we talked about the word oinus last week, and there was some confusion of how it's pronounced, and I went to the scholar himself, and yes, it's oinus in this sense. So we talked about oinus, the word, the New Testament Greek word for, for wine, meaning anything from the grape still on the vine in the cluster, to that which has been poured into the vat and squished, and the grape juice has come out still unfermented, to that which has sat, sat around for a while and fermented, or uh, yeast has been added, and the, the uh, process of fermentation has taken place. But it's a very generic word. And so we really have to take it in its context to know what it's talking about. Here's an example. In Nehemiah thirteen fifteen. It says, in those days saw I in Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath. So they're squishing grapes in the press and calling it a wine press. Well, it's not alcoholic wine like we would think with our Western mind, is it? It's just pure grape juice. Mentions bringing in sheaves and laden asses, also wine and grapes and figs. It's not talking about alcoholic wine here necessarily, but it uses the word wine. Here's another one. In Isaiah 16:10. It says, and gladness is taken away, and joy out of the plentiful field. And in the vineyards there shall be no singing, neither shall there be shouting. The treaders shall tread out no wine in their presses. Obviously talking about those grapes, and when the juice squishes out, it's simply grape juice, but it calls it wine here, wine here. Now, back here in our text in Proverbs 23, in verse 29 it says, who hath woe. It's going to describe somebody who has woe. Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? It's talking about the person who's drinking too much. Who hath wounds without cause? How did I fall and get hurt or break my arm? Who hath redness of eyes? Well, 
They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. And then it tells us when we should not mess with, quote, wine or grape juice. It says in verse 31, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup. That means the, the process of fermentation is taking place here. It's moving itself aright. Have you ever even had apple juice in your fridge that's been in there too long and you can see it kind of swirling? It's moving itself aright. Well, at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Now here's some of the, the side effects of alcohol. Thine eye shall behold strange women. There's lust. Thine heart shall utter perverse things. You say stuff you wouldn't say if you were sober. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or he that lieth upon the top of the mast. There's the drunk man. There's the bed spins. It says, they have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. Here's the hangover. He's going, whoa. And at the last, he says, I will seek it yet Again, and there's the alcoholism. So it's describing here when grape juice becomes treacherous, when it becomes uh, dangerous, if you will. Now, last time we saw that even those outside of the realm of Christianity have given us some insight on, on what the word oinus meant back in the days of Jesus Christ, the generic word used for wine. We talked about Aristotle, the Greek philosopher. He said unfermented grape juice was called oinus, or wine, though it did not have the taste or the intoxicating effect of ordinary wine. In other words, it's just kind of a generic word, and we need to understand that. In the Bible, grape juice actually is a sign of uh, of blessings. It's a sign of a fertile land that is producing something. And and we find um, Isaac, the elderly Isaac, pronouncing this blessing upon his son Jacob, as he's soon to die. And we read in Genesis 27, 28, Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Simply grape juice. This is a blessing. If there's grape juice being produced, that means there's vineyards, there's rain, the land is fertile, and it's simply a blessing that mentions grape juice. Deuteronomy 33, 28 would be another one. Israel then shall dwell in safety alone, The fountain of Jacob shall be upon a land of corn and wine. Also, his heaven shall drop down dew. And it's nothing alcoholic here. It's simply stating that God blessed them with a uh, a harvest of of grapes and wine. And it's mentioned here as non-alcoholic totally. In fact, there's wine mentioned as a blessing even during the millennial period, the thousand-year reign on the earth here of Christ. Joel 2.19 says, Yea, The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. So there it is, a pronunciation of a blessing, and it includes wine. In Amos 9 and verse 13, another millennial kingdom prophecy, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him that sow a seed, and the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt, and I'll bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof, and they shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And it's simply talking about a blessed nation at that time, the earth being blessed at that time. 
Now, in Bible times, they had even uh, wine to tithe by. Of course, we'll use uh, cash or we'll use a, a check or even a credit card nowadays to tithe. Back in those days, they'd even tithe with things like wine or grape juice because it was such a, a, a precious commodity. In our Western minds, we think um, automatically the word wine means alcoholic. But in Bible land times and in holy days, uh, the, the holy land in Bible times, it was quite often a beverage that was just eaten with a meal or drank with a meal, as it were. You know, there are places in the holy land where the water's so bad that they would drink simply grape juice instead of the water, kind of like Mexico or whatever it might be. Now, in Psalm 4 and in verse 7, it mentions, Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. We would look at that word and say, okay, it's talking about uh, making the heart merry and glad through a lot of drinking. But the Hebrew word tirash there explicitly is talking about simply grape juice and numerous other Old Testament passages. So it does not have to mean it's alcoholic. Actually, this is a reference to sweetness. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than the time that their corn and their wine increased. And simply talking about grape juice being such a sweet beverage. You know, they didn't have pop back in those days. And, and what is it that makes pop so, wow, I crave this? Well, it's sweet. There's like a teaspoon of sugar in every ounce of pop, by the way. Uh, well, in, in ancient times, they would even sweeten grape juice as sweet as it already was with honey, things like that. In fact, Pliny the Elder lived at the time of Christ. Their lives overlapped a little bit. He was a naturalist. Uh, he was a historian. And he made this quote, and it's kind of paraphrased, but at times people added a considerable amount of honey to grape juice to make it even sweeter. Can you imagine? The sweeter a beverage, the more desirable it was. It is worth noting on this regard that the land of Canaan is praised as a land flowing with milk and honey. To the, the Middle Eastern mind, uh, something sweet was very precious. But we equate wine with, you know, getting merry and glad and a buzz and intoxicated. But, but in the Bible, many times those references are just talk, talking about being blessed by a sweet drink. And they'd even enhance it with honey. You know, they took a survey of, of people who drink and found out that over half of the people who drink don't even like the taste of alcohol. Can you imagine that? 54% of all people who drink, they don't even like the taste of it. They drink because other people do. They might drink uh, because it numbs down the pain of life. But why, why do we as Christians not need to drink? Well, honestly, it's, al it's almost an insult to God to say we need something intoxicating or something numbing or something to give us a buzz to help us cope with life when really we know the Lord. We have him living inside of us. We don't need to put something artificial inside of us to escape reality. We know the Lord. And on March 5th, 1981, he moved into me. I haven't drank since that time. I don't need to. I have something more meaningful now. I have purpose now. And those of you who've been saved, you know what I'm talking about. I think of the things that people are living for and, and, and what alcohol does to them. And, you know, it's been in the news recently, a fight downtown where, where somebody got hit once in a, in a, outside of a, a bar and, and knocked to the concrete and died. And it's been in the news lately, and I'm thinking to myself, think of the, the heartache that you avoid just not messing with stuff like that. We have something so much better. But we say, well, he, he was under the influence. Well, we need to be under the influence, but under the influence of the Holy Spirit. 
Think of all the things people have done under the influence of alcohol. I mentioned Lincoln the other night. John Wilkes Booth was under the influence of alcohol in 1865 when he shot him. We find another president assassinated in 1881, Garfield. The assassin, again, was under the influence of alcohol. We find another president assassinated in 1901, McKinley. Again, the assassin was under the influence of alcohol when he did it. I could stand here for a month of Sundays and tell, tell you story after story that are, that are tragic and are alcohol-related. People under the influence. Well, we read this in Ephesians 5.18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. It's saying, be influenced with the Holy Spirit the way a drunk is, with wine. But we have something so much better. We read this over in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. It's so much better than alcohol. Now, let me just cover two verses very quickly in conclusion here. And one of them was covered by by Brother Justin back on watch night. I I, um, asked him if I could reuse what he said. It was so well said. But in Deuteronomy 14.26, And thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after, for oxen, or for sheep, or for wine, or for strong drink, or for whatsoever thy soul desireth. And you say, oh my word, here's God or Moses through, or God through Moses telling his people that whatever they want to buy, including strong drink, they can. And we assume they're going to get drunk. Well, again, alcohol at that time was a disinfectant. It was used for medicinal value. Uh, It was used for morphine if somebody was dying. But there is no denying there are there are references in the Bible to drinking strong drink. And this may be one of them. Well, keep in mind the dispensation. We do find dispensations in the Bible. And that's not a bad word. And, and really all we're talking about is God dealing with his people in a certain way, at a certain time, in a certain place. And, and, and whatever it was, it was in that dispensation. What God allowed during that dispensation was based upon the knowledge that they had at that time. Keep in mind, number one, these folks are coming out of Egyptian bondage. Number two, they have no Bible at all. It's being written at that time. So to whom much is given, much should be required. And the fact of the matter is it does say over in Acts 17.30 that at the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So we need to be careful about comparing ourselves to people during other dispensations and saying, well, look what they did. We should really never build our Christian lives on another's weaknesses anyway, folks. Let's go for the gold, okay? But yes, during that dispensation, evidently, God allowed that. But consider something else said at that exact same time. Over in Leviticus 10 and verse 9, God said, Do not drink wine nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons, with thee, when thou go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. This was something punishable by death to go into the the temple or the tabernacle with alcohol or to have drank it, to even have it in your, your bloodstream. There was to be no booze in the temple. Now follow me here. I really did like this when I heard it. No booze in the temple. Well, again, what is the temple of God during this dispensation? In 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. And if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. That's kind of like the language we saw in Leviticus. For the temple of God is holy, which temple 
ye are. So certainly I believe in this dispensation, God is telling us to abstain. Do not mess with alcohol. Now, there's one other verse, and that is, it's in 1 Timothy 3, and I know you've read it, where it says that the pastor shall not be given to wine, right? And a few verses later, it says, and the deacon shall not be given to much wine. And you say, well, the pastor can't drink, deacon can drink a little, and it does sound like that. Well, in verse 2 of that chapter, it mentions the pastor, no question about it, is to be sober. In verse 8, it mentions the deacon, and it uses the the word likewise, meaning the same thing applies to him. So what you have is a passage dealing with the behavior associated with drinking, and it's really a a, a passage that talks about what are we under control of, or out of control, as a matter of reason. In other words, it's talking about not ministering, it's it's, it's talking about not serving as one given to wine or given to much wine, but it's simply talking about what is influencing us while we are serving. Something else we really need to, to understand about wine is at some point it does cross a line and it becomes fermented. Um, I'll never forget cleaning out my, my dad's place and finding orange juice in the fridge. We didn't know how long it had been in there. But I, I, I went to unscrew the top and it, it hit the ceiling. Just, boom, it just it had been in there too long. You ever had anything like that in your fridge? You ever had uh, apple juice that's still swirling? And, and so at some point, it crosses a line. And wherever that's at, um, it, it, don't mess with it. Don't mess with it. So by way of review, strong drink, um, we find that in this dispensation, definitely not. Even in, in Bible times, it was not to come into the temple. You're the temple of God. Avoid it. Um, wine, well... Basically, we find that the, the Greek word oinus, it's very generic, and it can mean one of several things, and so we have to really read it within context. I just want to go on record by saying I'm not going to support the liquor industry. Now, you, you can believe in, in, in a moderation, apps, whatever, but I'm not going to support it. It's done far too much damage. I'm not going to put anything alcoholic in, in, in my body as the temple of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Edison said this. A Christian, really, by no means... Edison even said to put alcohol into your system, and he had thought this thing through, to take it internally is like putting sand in the wheels of cogs. In other words, you're just destroying yourself. It was never meant to go inside of you. And so should a Christian drink alcohol? I don't believe we should. God help us to avoid it. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Puppet Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.